welcome to this new edition of Tinfoil Tales, and I'm your host, Brandon Wright. On tonight's episode, we'll be joined by my guest, Candace. Now, Candace hosts her own podcast called Obscure Appalachia, and she was kind enough to come out tonight and talk a little bit about some of the experiences she's had over the years. Before we dive right into our story with Candace, if you'd like to be a part of a future episode of Tinfoil Tales, please send me an email. You can reach out to me at tinfoiltalespodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's tinfoiltalespodcast at gmail.com. You can also find Tinfoil Tales on Facebook, so go give us a like, and you can either shoot us a message on there if you'd prefer to do that as well. Just very recently, I released Tinfoil Tales, which is 10 different episodes all translated to reading format. It is now available on Amazon, so if that's something that you'd be interested in, you can find the link to that inside the show notes. So we're going to go ahead and dive on into our story with Candace. so... Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'd like to take the time to welcome my guest tonight, Candice. Candice, thanks for coming out. Hi, Brandon. Thanks for having me. It's really nice to meet you. Yeah, it's nice to meet you, too. So you're also a fellow podcaster, if you'd like to talk a little bit about what you're doing. I am. I host the podcast Obscure Appalachia, where I tell true paranormal, I, I know those words are confusing to people, but... As true as I can verify with sources, paranormal stories from the Appalachian region. So cryptids, aliens, hauntings, things like that. And it's told in a narrative storytelling format instead of a chit-chatty one. Yeah. I looked into your podcast the other day. I didn't listen to much of it because I haven't really had a chance, but I did listen to a little bit and it's there's several podcasts I listen to that talk about topics like that. So I definitely find this stuff interesting. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating stuff. And I wish that this information was more easily accessible in a, I consider myself a skeptical believer. So while I believe in the paranormal, I like to rule out the logical things first. And sometimes it's tricky to find that when you're finding these stories. So I wish there was more of that on hand, you know? Yeah, I believe there's an explanation to 99% of cases that people encounter something, if they think it's paranormal, if they think it's something else. Like, I'm not going to say it's not what they're believing it is, but at the same time, it's like, I want to make sure that there's every avenue is covered before you just jump to paranormal. Right. Yeah. So I wanted to make a podcast that I wanted to listen to basically. That's pretty much what I did with this. Like I've seen some stuff of my own. That's kind of got me to where I've looked into things on Facebook and other groups and other forums. And I listened to other podcasts. I was like, you know, it'd be interesting because stuff that I encountered if I was to tell it to myself without actually witnessing it, I'd think I was probably a lunatic. But, right. <laughs> but I can't explain it myself. So I know it happened. Someone else saw the same thing. So, but they won't talk about it these days. So right. I've just kind of kept it to myself. And that's kind of why I made this podcast because I think about what happens to everyone else that encounters something or sees something strange and they're afraid to talk about it because of the ridicule that comes with us. So that's why I made this podcast because if someone had encountered something or saw something or had any of these, their own ideas or beliefs, I want this to be like a platform for them to come out and 
talk about it without having to be afraid of judgment because I'm not here to judge anyone. Yeah. And that is the hardest part of sharing my own stories with people. It feels really naked and vulnerable to know that inevitably there are going to be people who listen, who think you're just full of crap. Yeah. And when you know yourself that you absolutely experienced it the way that you're telling it, it, it kind of sucks, but I've also been the person thinking people are full of crap. So what can I say? I've definitely heard some things that makes me scratch my head, but at the end of the day, it's how am I to say that's what they're telling me isn't a hundred percent true. I mean, right. I, I wasn't there to see it. So it's just like, if I was to tell my experience to somebody else, they'll be like, that dude's crazy. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's not a single paranormal story I've ever heard that doesn't sound unbelievable in essence. Yeah. Most of them, if I was just to sit here and believe everything that someone was to tell me, then that kind of defeats the purpose. I always remain skeptical about it. So I think that a healthy dose of skepticism is a good thing to have, especially when you're dealing with this type of field, I guess you'd call it. Right. But well, now, if you want to tell us a little bit about some of the experiences you've had. Okay. Um, so they're pretty disjointed because they, you know, of course, these experiences don't happen on a clock. So they're just spread sporadically throughout my life. So it kind of feels like from here to there jumping around, but that's just the way they are. That's how a lot of my interviews have been. So that's fine. All right. Great. So the first really paranormal experience that I can remember. I was about 12 years old, no, about 13 years old and having a slumber party with myself and three other girls. And this is in the nineties. I don't know how old you are. Are you old like me? I am going to be 39. Oh no. Okay. You're a little younger, but you'll remember. Um, at the time the crow was the big thing. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And it was my favorite movie. So I had the poster on my wall and listened to the soundtrack every day, you know, well, during this slumber party, we had the bright idea to hold a seance. And because the poster's right there, you know, of course it was logical that we're going to summon Brandon Lee because he had just died while making the movie. There's actually so. a controversy about that, but or a conspiracy about that, but go ahead. Well, now I want to hear that the conspiracy. There's supposedly a curse because his father was killed too. And then mm -hmm. they, they killed him. Like I didn't have to go back and actually look into it, but I've seen it before <laughs> where they think Bruce Lee was targeted for the fact that he was teaching people the old way of fighting, I guess. I don't know if it was Kung Fu or whatever it was he was teaching. Right. And, there was apparently a faction or whatever that was upset that he was doing that. So they targeted him for that. And then for whatever reason, the family curse, they targeted Brandon too. Interesting. I'll have to look into that. So we sit down to have this seance and the posters on the wall. We light some candles and clasp our hands and we start asking the spirit of Brandon Lee questions and we start to notice pretty early on, if we looked at the poster when we asked a yes or no question, 
we thought we could maybe like perhaps see him shake his head no or nod yes in the poster. And I mean, these movements were minuscule. Like if you squinted, maybe he did kind of thing. So (laughs) we're doing this for a while, asking questions and, you know, imagining honestly that we can see a response in this poster. And then something happened that spooked us. And I don't remember what it was, but it wasn't something big. But either way, it turned from us just being silly and giggling to feeling really creeped out about the whole thing. And in that moment, I said, give us a sign if we really should not be doing this right now. And all of us saw his head shaking no in that picture so violently that his shoulder length hair was actually flying out from the sides of his head in the picture, in the poster on the wall. That's weird. It was crazy. We all just screamed because what else can you do? Like it went from like, oh, I think I see him saying no to that. Just so undeniable. So we screamed and jumped up and kind of freaked out. And then one of the girls was like, oh no, we, we dropped our hands. We broke the circle. So what does that mean? And she said, that means that whatever's here can stay here. I was like, "Uh, all right. So we went on about our night and didn't really talk about it, which is kind of crazy because when someone tells me they didn't talk about an experience that happened, even with the people who experienced it with them, that never made sense to me. But then like that night it did somehow because it meant confronting that something actually happened. I've noticed there's a lot of people that say that too. Like they both see something and even in my instance too, there's been multiple people that have seen things and they don't want to talk about it. Right. It's like, it's strange to me because I was never one to not want to talk about it, but other people are like, man, I don't want to talk about that. Right. I think at least in my experience, I think it all depends on the level of scary, you know, and that was terrifying to us. And that is still the scariest thing that I've ever encountered. Have you ever talked to them about it since then at all? Or has it just been one of those things that's just been left? You know, to be honest, my memory is horrible. I remember one of the girl's names that was there. And I haven't kept in touch with her. So no, unfortunately, I would love to talk to them now and see if they even remember it or see what their thoughts on it were. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what they remember. Yeah, I know. Or to see if, especially if they remember something that's like, no, you idiot. You don't remember that we were like inhaling solvents right before that (laughs) happened, (laughs) which we didn't do. Don't get me wrong. Back in those days, sniff glue or something. Right. I remember it's completely off topic, but I remember back in the nineties or whatever, when I was in school, some of the kids would take a shop class. They'd take rags of some kind of a lacquer thinner or something. And they like sniff it. And I was like, you guys are stupid. (laughs) Nice. I went to school with a girl who had one of those little film canisters when we used film, you know, (laughs) and she had kerosene in hers. To, you know, huff it right before gym class. 
That's that's stuff that I've never messed with, and I don't understand why people have ever thought about it. But hey, whatever. Right. Well, I think there's. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. As I say, if they want to kill their brain cells, I guess that's their prerogative. It's not my, not my thing. Yeah, I think that's where the line lies between doing a drug because you're curious and want to experiment, and then just desperately needing to be altered somehow. No. Well, so after that seance experience, that's when things actually started. That's why I wonder if maybe it was like the catalyst. Maybe for all I know, we did call in something that hadn't been there before. You opened because up a doorway. Though, yeah, maybe. Because, you know, the other experiences were subtle, but they were definitely there. Like starting from then, occasionally there would be times where I knew I wasn't alone. Just suddenly I would feel this strong presence and feel eyes on me from a certain spot in the room. And all I could do was just stare at it with all of my hair on end until it dissipated. Or there were a couple of weeks that I woke up at 3.30 in the morning on the dot every day and looked right at my clock. I don't know why. Um, a couple times my stereo turned itself on in the middle of the night. And I swear it would only do it if it had something absolutely terrifying that it could play at the moment. Um, one night I was awakened in the middle of the night to Pink Floyd's The Wall. And it was the line at the end, if you don't eat your meat, you can't have any pudding over and over and over. Um, and another time was enter Sandman. So that's not a pleasant way to wake up in the middle of the night. You said you woke up at three thirty. Yeah. Every, that's in the middle of the witching hour. Right. That's, I know. That's, that's like the, I think it was like three thirty three or something like that. Every morning I heard a story before about someone would wake up and they're sitting at like half of the six, six, six. So it's like mocking the Holy Trinity or something. Ah, huh. Interesting. Yeah, I know that, you know, the crazy stuff tends to happen in the middle of the night like that, but I never could put my finger on what was waking me up. It was just my eyes flew open at that moment. It was really weird. Yeah. I'm so a very light I'm a very light sleeper, so yeah. any, anything and everything always wakes me up. So Me too. So that kind of went on for a couple years that that stuff happened intermittently, you know, occasionally there would be, I don't know. I always assumed a ghost in my room staring at me that I could feel, but couldn't hear or see or anything else. Have you ever had that distinct feeling you're being watched and sure enough, someone's looking right at you. Mm -hmm. It was like that, but amplified just so strong. You couldn't ignore it. I've actually felt something like that when we moved into our house in the last couple of years, but I don't necessarily think there's anything here. But when I first moved in, you get into a new house and you're looking around, and you hear noises, or it's just kind of one of those things. Like I feel like there was someone there. I hear a noise, I turn around, and there's nothing there. So it's like, man, I'm just making myself paranoid. Oh. Well, the the next story kind of ties into that. This one's probably my favorite story. It's bonkers but 
So I'm 15 and I'm spending my time on AOL when I'm not at school. And I had a, an internet boyfriend who lived in another state that I'd never met, you know, <laughs> like we did in the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> so this guy was really spiritual. He, he was into everything esoteric and me being raised in a pretty average Southern Baptist household had not heard of any of this stuff before. So he introduced me to the concept of astral projection. And that quickly became our, our little thing. Every night when we were logging out of AOL, it would be like, are you going to try to come see me at night? Or am I going to come see you? <laughs> you know? So that night he told me, all right, I'm going to try to come see you tonight. Okay. Well, we had been doing this for weeks, you know, nothing ever came of it. So that night I'm upset over some stupid teenage drama with a friend. So I'm laying in my bed crying. And there was that feeling again, that unmistakable feeling that someone's in my room. I can tell exactly where they are and that they're staring at me. So I just stared back at this spot in my room. And then in a little bit, like less than a minute, suddenly I felt this really warm, comforting, soothing feeling. And it was so nice that I just laid down and went to sleep despite feeling like there's a spirit in my bedroom and I was devastated in tears over something overly dramatic, you know, a moment before. Yeah. So the next morning I log on to AOL and he immediately messages me and says, did you see me? And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, I did it. I went to see you last night and I actually made it and you were crying and I didn't understand why. So I just wrapped you in my arms and held you until you fell asleep. He said, I could have sworn that you saw me because you were looking right at me. <laughs> Did you stop talking to him after that? <laughs> How could I? He was my soulmate, obviously, right? <laughs> when you're 15, that's your soulmate. That, that, that's strange. That blew my mind. That's that's the story. You know, not even the poster one. This was the story that I tried to make sense of for years and years on end. Mm -hmm. Because I felt like, unlike the other one, there had to be some amount of logic in here. You know? And then in 2020, when they declassified all those government documents... You know how they admitted that aliens were real, but it was 2020, so no one noticed or cared. <laughs> the UFO thing, yeah. Yeah. Well, I looked through those documents because, you know, I'm a paranormal research nerd. And in those documents, they admitted that astral projection was real and that they used it as an investigative tool. Didn't they do that also with uh, MK Ultra type stuff as well? Wasn't that like some of the stuff they're doing back in the sixties and seventies to where they were. I interviewed someone that was, he said, as part of the Montauk project, his episode should be coming out here in the next couple of weeks, but it's kind of like the whole stranger things 
concept to where they had all these kids and they were using them to like open different portals, different things like astral project, all sorts of stuff they had them doing. Wow. Maybe I didn't read everything, but when I found that section, you bet I read every bit of it because it was fascinating. They were talking about how they had, I guess, professional astral projectors on staff and the things they could do were incredible. It detailed telling them things like, okay, there's an enemy base somewhere in this mountain region. We can't find it. Go find it for us. Tell us what you see. These people could pinpoint a location that was later verified to be accurate, draw maps of the inside of the building, give them code names that they heard while they were inside and discussions that the enemies had been having. It was crazy. So that's what I needed after I read all of that just a couple of years ago. It was like, holy crap. I guess it all just made sense for exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. I'm still foggy on the whole astral projection thing. I, like I said, I've talked to a couple people and I don't, I guess my brain can't comprehend of how it's possible. Right. Well, so... I worked as a nurse on the night shift at the hospital for several years. And um, that's some of the next set of stories I'll be getting into, but it really gives you a different concept of life and death. So I, while I can't say I necessarily believe in life after death, I know that sometimes something happens and there is a transition where someone's essence leaves their body. Like I know that much is real because I experienced something like that. And I do their, believe in ghosts. <laughs> their life force and energy basically. Right. Something. So I have to think that that's astral projection, that some people just have the ability to take that and just somehow leave with it. I know some of the Native Americans, and don't quote me on this, but it's just things I've read. That's what they did when they were like the shaman and everything else, when they did all their like spiritual rituals or whatever. There's all supposed to be like out of body experiences. Right. And that's, that's why they use like peyote and some of these other things. Like it helps them. I don't know if it's, I can't think of the actual term in the brain, not the pineal group gland or something like that that's in the brain they claim that's like the third eye once you're able to unlock that you're able to do all sorts of other things that we're not normally doing like the astral projections and well not so much telepathy but like it just expands the brain because it's we only use a small percentage supposedly of our brain right yeah i I don't know. There's, there has to be something in there and that something can, I mean, I believe in ghosts and how else can I explain that? Like, it probably doesn't make any sense that I'm not sure what I believe in a lot of regards, but I do believe in ghosts. So, no. but honestly, I think it's probably just an alternate reality. Like that's as real as this is real. And somehow there's just a tear and we can catch a glimpse through it. A lot of what? people, and even me to an extent, 
I've often wondered that if maybe the paranormal that we have is not so much an alternate reality to an extent it is, but it could just be another dimension that we can't see fully. Right. Yeah. And it just bleeds into this. We can only see bits and pieces of things because they're at a higher dimension and we're only able to see like a, in the realm of 3D. But if they're a higher dimension, we'd only see bits and pieces of it, not the whole thing. Yeah, good point. Maybe little kids can because you know kids can see and experience things that we can't. My daughter has an imaginary friend and it really creeps me out. <laughs> they may not be imaginary. That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's got all these stories and everyone's like, oh, it's normal. She's just, she's only three. I was like, yeah, well, I look into too much crap. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, my last experience at that house before I move on to a lot of hospital stuff. Um, one day, because I worked nights, I was sleeping in my room. I had a queen size bed that was against the wall. So there was one nightstand on the one side of my bed and I'm sleeping in the middle of the bed facing the wall when I wake up to this huge clatter in my bedroom and my Nintendo DS, which had been on my nightstand when I fell asleep, was about six feet away and in the floor. And because I wasn't even facing that way and couldn't even reach the nightstand, I cannot explain how it went flying off my nightstand and landed that far away from it. But that was definitely like a, huh, and then just went back to sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never seen anything personally like move or anything like that on my own. Now I've, when I was in high school, I had friends. He swore his house was haunted, which when I stayed at his house, we've seen a shirt moving. But I, as I've gotten older, I've looked at it. I was like, you know what? It could have just been a draft. We've seen a shirt hanging up. It was kind of just moving. I don't mean it's anything. It started moving strangely, yeah. but it could have just been like maybe their air conditioner or furniture, whatever it was, kicked on and just a draft or something. like. So I wrote that off as not, but they swore that they've had stuff on their shelves that just come flying off and they had like a ketchup bottle on the table that fell over and random things here and there it was a creepy place their dogs would not go in that basement at all like the basement where we all kind of hung out and you try to take the dog down there it would literally scamper like dead weight you you have to drag it down there and then when it was down there it peed all over the floor because it was like terrified well that's a big red flag <laughs> Yeah, I always did get like a creepy vibe down there, but I think it's most basements are creepy anyways, as I, yeah. sit, as I sit in my basement recording. <laughs> <laughs> mine's not, mine's not creepy though. So there's at least that much. So I mentioned working at the hospital, especially on a night shift in a place where there is so much life and death happening. Hospitals are haunted. Um, the, one of my favorite stories, all right, I'm sure you've heard the stories from nurses before because they're pretty common where people talk about when someone is dying, there are a lot of common occurrences, like oftentimes a family member who's passed on will come to pick them up, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one that relates to the essence or soul or whatever you want to call it of a person being inside 
sometimes there were people who were really sick and on life support. And the only way I can explain it was you could tell there was nothing in there. Like whatever had been, whatever light had been in them was gone. And anytime I encountered one of those, it only happened a few times. They never got better. And I really feel like there must be some people whose bodies are still very much alive, but they're just not in there anymore. And, you know, people's near-death experiences reinforce that, that they're watching down on their body or experiencing other things while, you know, at the verge of death like that. But one lady, so I go into a room with another nurse and we're doing post-mortem care on a patient who'd recently died. And post-mortem care is basically removing any medical equipment like IVs, oxygen, getting all that out of the way, giving them a bath and getting them cleaned up so that when the family gets there and the funeral home, they look as good as they can possibly look. So we're in the room doing that. And this is the hardest thing to try to explain. But as we're doing it, suddenly there's this feeling in the room almost like every molecule in the air was energized. Like the air was thick and alive. Like there's this energy through the whole room, but it didn't feel heavy. It felt active, but it gave you chills. And I know that doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's so hard to explain. And I was just starting to try to take this in and process it. When the other nurse looks at me and says, do you feel that? I think that we experienced her essence leaving her body. And she had been deceased for maybe 15, 30 minutes. So it's not like it was at the moment that it happened. And that's one of the more fascinating aspects to me is that it was delayed a little bit. And I don't think I felt that with any other patients. You think that, um, I kind of lost my train of thought. Sorry. Do you think that, uh, that was like her way of just letting people know that she was gone? I don't know. I mean, we were just two nurses. She wasn't even my patient, you know? Yeah. So we didn't have any kind of relationship with each other. But then again, her family also wasn't there. It's hard to say. I've heard stories before. And again, these are just me trying to fire off stories that I've heard. But I know like the when there's sometimes people like that and they're on support or anything they're just kind of there they won't they don't cross over as if like they don't die until someone's not in the room like they wait till everyone leaves the room or something like that i've always thought stuff like that is a little strange like how can someone know if they're on like that far gone that they just wait till everyone leaves the room and all of a sudden they come back in there oh well, they passed away it's strange yes it it's strange. 
It really is. To some degree, they can choose what time they die. Yeah, that's... And that's wild. Like some people wait for their family or for a specific person to get there. Mm -hmm. And some want to be alone. And then others, they... Now I lost my train of thought. But yeah, they they essentially can choose within a little while anyway, what time they die. Oh, that's what I was going to say. If someone there is overly emotional in the moment and pleading with them not to go, they'll linger or they'll just be at the verge and come back over and over and over. And that is the saddest thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, then, whole, the whole no, you go ahead. The whole subject of losing a loved one or whatever, it always it's hard on everyone. So especially the people that are there, but think about the person that's actually going through it themselves if they know they're dying, you know. Yeah. It's no one really knows what it's like to die because if you once you die, you you're gone. So it's not like anyone can actually explain the experience. Mm-hmm. People that have near-death experiences. Now, there was a guy that I was supposed to interview a couple of months ago, but he never did come through. He had told me that he had died and went to hell and came back. So I was like, I definitely want to hear this story. Yeah. But every time I tried to get with him and there was always something going on, something going on, and then I just I stopped trying because after a couple of times of scheduling things and it canceling, I just don't. I'll give people a benefit of that. Like you had to reschedule and I get that. But after four or five t- attempts, it's like, man, just hit me up when you're ready. And I right. never heard from. Yeah. And, you know, on a, a similar note about people choosing their time of death. Um, the, <laughs> I hate when I have a thought and I lose it completely. Oh, 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 sorry about that. They, um, the worst part for me, (laughs) because I did have some hospice patients, some that we knew were dying. We were just making them comfortable and happy for the most part. That's not what my floor was. We were trying to get people better. (laughs) So the worst is when people, and sometimes these were decently healthy people know they're dying and you don't know they're dying because if a patient tells you I'm dying, they mean they're dying and you have to get ready because every time without fail, it's going to happen. And sometimes I've called a doctor and been like, Hey, so-and-so shit says she's dying. And we do every test under the sun. Nothing is wrong, but they're never wrong. They always know. That's strange. I'm sure it's a feeling that they have that, again, we haven't experienced that. Yeah. Kind of, you touch base on it too, but there's like people you said and see family members or loved ones or something that have already passed away. They come back to get them. Like, yeah. I've heard people talk like on their deathbeds or whatever, and they've said that they see their husband that died or someone else, like whatever, their, his wife came back to him. Like, yeah. and that's some of the last things they say. And you, you wonder, I don't necessarily believe 
one type of religion or anything like that. So I'm not going to say there's a heaven or hell or anything about it. I mean, that's not what I'm about, but there has to be something. Yeah. And and I don't, I don't know what it is, but there has to be something. Right. And even, even just to skew logically, even if this really is just brain synapses firing and none of that is actually real, they just imagine that in their last moments Either way, these stories give me hope because that's what everybody wants, right? Mm-hmm. Whether you believe it or not, you want to think you're going to be with those people again. Everyone wants to hold out hope that there's something. Yeah. Now, you got cynical people like me that are like, eh, I probably just died. I'll never know the difference because there's nothing there. And then I'm just gone and I'll never know one way or the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm I'm a jaded type of person, so that's just kind of... <laughs> the way I see reality is so yeah I mean I am too but I I've experienced enough with these little things that there has to be something and I don't think it's there for everyone which is probably the crappiest part you know I think some people linger for varying amounts of time maybe they had unfinished business maybe it's the whole traumatic death thing don't know they kind of get lost in crossing over. Yeah. Yeah, there was. I've always wondered about instances like that. Say if someone were to die and there's been houses that are haunted or something like that, but what is actually haunting it? Is it a person that died from there, their spirit's trapped there? Because there's been instances where there's been places that are haunted that no one's ever died at before. So where did, yes. the spirit, where did the spirits come from? I mean, some people think it's the land. The land, like the where the things are built on and everything else, like there was a dead body there at some point or something. Yeah. And then also, from my experience, sometimes people haunt places they didn't die at, but places that meant something to them. That makes sense, too. Yeah. I know like a lot of people go to graveyards and cemeteries, which one of my experiences was actually there, but it wasn't because of the cemeteries. Just, there's some other stuff going on, but that was also when I was a teenager. <laughs> but back then, looking at it now, I was like, why would, if I was dead and I'm haunting, I wouldn't be haunting my grave. I'm I know. All... I've always thought that was weird. So I don't know why everyone goes investigate cemeteries anymore. It's just kind of like, man, but... I mean, they could be attached to their dead body, but at the same time, if they're going to be haunting, I wouldn't be sticking around the same cemetery. <laughs> I'd be somewhere else. Yeah, I think it's because the the human nature feels like that's the creepy place. Yeah, that's where we always went as kids, like still in school and everything else. But like I said, as more I've gotten older, I'm like looking back at it like I was dumb. <laughs> right. Well, that's at the age where you take pictures and claim that there are a bunch of orbs in them too. So, you know, we're all young ones. <laughs> yeah. Pre-cell phone days, we all had to have the cameras and have the film developed and everything else. Right. But at least there's not much evidence of us being idiots, unlike nowadays. <laughs> nowadays, it's easy to be uh, caught doing something stupid. Right. <laughs> I'm happy there's no evidence of my my youth. 
So when I started working at the hospital, my coworkers warned me about the lady in the window. There was this one long hallway and they claimed that if you looked in that window, sometimes you'd see a woman in it, in the reflection. And sure enough, there were two, maybe three times I was starting to see a, a patient down that hallway and I glanced at the window and there's an old woman with long white hair standing behind me. She's kind of petite, wearing a nightgown with a little robe over it. And she's just looking, you know, since I see her reflection, I'm not sure if she's looking in the window, if she's looking at my reflection in the window. But either way, I saw her for a second or two each time, and then she was just gone. My, did, you, did you actually see her disappear completely like right in front of your eyes or just look away and she was gone? It's so one time I definitely looked away and she was gone. The other time it's like she somehow disappeared without dematerializing. Like I'm looking at her and it maybe like a blink, maybe like I blinked and she was gone. Yeah. My favorite one, though, I'm walking down the hallway in the middle of the night. It's two or three in the morning. And I'm looking in every room that has an open door, just checking on people, even though none of my patients were down that hallway. And one of the rooms as I passed, so the rooms had the room doorway. And then to the left of the room doorway were some built-in shelves. So you could see those shelves if you looked in the window opposite the door, you could see them reflected. So I'm walking by and I see a later middle-aged man, probably in his 60s, standing in front of those shelves, rifling through a duffel bag. He's wearing a hospital gown, but the bed in the room is completely made still, so he'd not gotten into the bed. So I keep walking. I assumed that he was a late admission to the floor, just hadn't had time to get into bed yet and was getting situated. But after I passed the room, I got a really weird feeling about it. And when you're a nurse, you don't ignore a weird feeling because usually that means somebody's in trouble. So I double back and go to check on him, see if he was okay. And I walk in that room and it's completely empty. There was nobody there. I went to the nurse's station and asked everyone, you know, do you have this room? Did a man come in late? Nope, no man. But I saw him clear as day reflected in that window, rifling, rifling through his bag on the shelf. Hmm. That's strange. I like that one, though, because it was vivid. You yeah. Know? It wasn't just a blink, just a moment in time. like. Mm -hmm. I really saw this distinctively for a few seconds. We also, you know, now and then call lights would go off in empty rooms, which the call light system was old. So at the time, I just assumed that it was bad wiring probably. But, you know, with any evidence, if you stack it with the other things happening, then it carries a little more weight. I've always kind of assumed that hospitals and stuff, just for the amount of death that happens there, trauma, just the events, the energies, all sorts of 
things that go on there. I, I always kind of assumed that there would be some sort of activity at hospitals. I think they're all haunted. I mean, with that much suffering and that much death, how could they not be? Yeah, there's just a lot of, I don't want to call it bad juju, but a lot of uh, things that happen there that I think the energies, whatever it ends up being, I think they all, not every single one of them, but I think a lot of it gets stuck there. Yeah. We had, there was this one room. It was kind of infamous amongst the staff. Room 328 is the room you did not want to be in because it was, I'm going to use the term cursed lightly because I don't mean literally cursed, but when a patient was admitted to that room, if they were really old or really sick or just really not doing well, they often had to be admitted to ICU or worse. People just did not do well in that room to the point that if any of our family members were admitted, we would tell them, do not put them in 328. And then if the patients were pretty young and healthy and doing okay, they were in pain, they were miserable, they were cranky. It just would not go well for them. And there was this one man who had been admitted to that room really often. He lived in a nursing home, but kind of bounced between that room and the nursing home very often. And this was not, he was not a good person. He used to beat his wife until one day he had a stroke that left him paralyzed on one side so he couldn't beat her anymore. And for some uh -huh. reason, yeah, I hope so. And then for some reason, she would still come see him on occasion where he would just verbally abuse her at that point. But I swear, when that man died, even though he wasn't at the hospital, he was at the nursing home, that room got a lot better. The atmosphere felt better. It's like you were talking about bad juju. I wonder if it was that simple. Just the weight of his presence, you know, the the energy, the vibes, whatever you want to call it. The negativity. Yeah. And that's that may not be able to be scientifically proven, but everyone knows that's true. You know, if there's a negative person in your space, you can feel that. Yeah. It's like he left it lingering when he left every time. But the, the thing that always got me about that room, though, do you know what I mean if I tell you you're in a room with a door that fits really tightly? When that door opens, you can feel the air pressure change in the room, even if you don't hear the door open. Mm -hmm. Okay. That happened every single time I was in that room, but no one was ever opening a door. But you I could, could never like, explain that. You could feel like a different pressure. Yes, it happened every time. And I looked every time because I was certain that someone came in looking for me. That's the weirdest thing. Yeah, I wonder wonder what also was involved in there. Like you could think whether it be in a hospital or whatever, there could have been not just him, but other deaths and everything else that go on in there. There could have been all sorts of bad people that have left their bad energies hanging around. Right. Yeah, I, I couldn't explain it, but it was really interesting. And I've heard similar stories from other people before. There are other hospitals that have, you know, a bad room like that. And 
it's kind of like a chicken or egg scenario because it's like, okay, which one came first? Do all the sickest people end up invited to that room coincidentally and then therefore they all do poorly and have to get moved out of that room or did they do poorly because there's something about that room so i don't want to go too uh out there but something's feeding on their life energy maybe that room was always icy cold no matter what we did i don't know the correct term i know there's a they call it incubus and succubus or anything like that, that they supposed to like feed on the human essences or whatever. Now there's always mythological stuff, but sometimes you wonder if maybe some of these things don't have some sort of truth behind them. Right. So who's to say that there isn't, again, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy nut, but this is tinfoil tell, so I got to put on my tinfoil hat <laughs> here. Uh, who's to say that there's not some sort of entity that feeds off of, like, the life force? Where is the best place to find that at? Well, right. <laughs> in a hospital with sick people. Yeah, and um, I have a hard time thinking that every piece of mythology was just made up as a creative writing tale at some point you know something some of it has to have a root somewhere yeah that's everything someone had to think it up from somehow and some of these stories from like all these years ago it's strange how they'd come up with something like that if it's not got some sort of influence behind it yeah um, so during this period that I was working at the hospital, I took a long weekend off to go to a paranormal conference. So the highlight of the conference was I got to do a two night paranormal investigation at Waverly Hills. And it's one of the most incredible things I've ever gotten to experience. Are you familiar with Waverly Hills? Yeah, I've watched like ghost hunters and ghost adventures where they've been doing their stuff there. And it's supposed to be one of the most haunted places in America. I think it's an amazing place. And, you know, for a cynical girl, my list of experiences there was pretty short, but part of that, anytime there's a crap ton of people in there, I feel like it really limits how much you're going to experience because maybe I'm crazy, but I feel like ghosts are shy you know, just like when my Nintendo DS went flying through the room, I feel like it was intentionally done at a time I was not going to see. I think if but, there's more people there anyways, it makes it harder in general because how can you determine what you're hearing or what you're seeing or anything is not something brought up from somebody else. It's yes. not. So I, I do agree with in the sense that I don't think having giant groups of people there is really going to help matters. Yeah. And there were a hundred of us on both nights, but Waverly Hills is, I believe, 20,000 square feet. Yeah. It's massive. Yeah. So even though we would bunch up and I'd get annoyed because there are people everywhere, when you weren't bunched up, it was plenty private enough. 
But, you know, there was some good objective evidence there, like um, a woman had an infrared thermometer and found a cold spot on the floor and was verbally coaching something to lower the temperature in that spot. And this was July in Kentucky. So, you know, it's 80 degrees in this place at least. And she managed to get this spot on the floor down to, I think it was like 58 just by coaching it and talking to it and encouraging it to get colder. So that was pretty interesting. Um, they told us about a, a ghost that supposedly you could smell her lilac perfume sometimes. And sure enough, at one point, the room fills with the odor of lilac perfume that was really strong. Like so strong, it made me wonder if it was intentional. If someone's like, okay, they're in there now. Go spray the perfume. I don't know. It's almost like they set up their own little uh, things to make people believe that it's really haunted. So they keep coming back and spending the money to come there. Right. Like it was that distinctive that I felt like this has to be fake, right? Because it's not just like a whiff on the air. No, it was, it was strong. But my favorite story though, about Waverly Hills. So John Zaffis was there and he is a demonologist which don't ask me how you go to school to become a demonologist. But he was unexpectedly really silly and goofy and fun. And at one point, my husband at the time and I were in the cafeteria at Waverly. We're the only two people in there, sitting in the only two chairs in the room. And it's pitch black. And then these two guys wander in, these two guys in their 20s. And I leaned over to my then husband and said, I really don't like these guys. I have a really bad feeling about them. I don't know what it is. I don't trust them. I don't like them. So, you know, he probably thought I was crazy, but they just kind of hung out in the room. And then at one point we get up and we go to join the rest of the group and they were shortly behind us. So we wander up to the area where John's office, the demonologist is hanging out. He looks behind us at the two guys and says, Hey, where's your friend? And I said, what are you talking about? It's just us. He said, no, you guys have a friend. Where did he go? And again, nope, it's just us. We don't have anyone else here with us. And John said, there has been a guy in all black with the two of you all night long. Where did he go? So that one always stuck with me. And it does not help that it was the demonologist who said that because it gave me extra creeps. But I I didn't like the presence of those guys. So for him to say that, it was just like, holy crap, what was with them? Yeah. Sometimes like, I, when you were talking, I kind of looked up demonology and I don't, I'm not dis, to discredit anyone or anything about it, but like, sometimes I wonder if some of these people are almost like the old type of people that sold you the snake oil back in the old, you know what I mean? I've, <laughs> often, I've often wondered it because now if people go around and help people and investigate their house, they don't charge them anything, then I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But sometimes if they call these people, oh, I got problems here and someone comes out and told me they're demonologists and I have to pay them to rid the spirits or whatever. I was like, I'm not calling ghostbusters. Like, <laughs> like 
And I don't know, like I said, I don't know who you're referring to. I don't know that name, so I'm not going to discredit that guy or anything, but I've I've had bad experiences with paranormal investigators, at least from around here. No, let me tell you, there were, I'm not going to say any names. I don't want to get in trouble, but there were two people there who definitely left that taste in my mouth. They were a medium couple, and I had no interest in hearing their presentation, but I was curious. And so I go, now supposedly the man was the medium and he worked in that typical medium fashion, like you see on TV. And the woman was an artist who could draw the picture of the man or draw the picture of the person that the man was talking about. So we go into this room, this small auditorium they were in, and there's a line. And as before they let you get seated, They ask for your full name, your address, your phone number, and your birthday. And the dude was wearing an earpiece on the stage. Like, are you kidding me? Could this be any more obviously fake? Google is a thing. He claimed he was listening to music to get in the mood. (laughs) And then, of course, everything he said was really vague, just like you expect from a medium. Like, Someone here had a male relative who had a heart attack. Oh my God, that was me. I always think of uh, the movie Fletch 2 where they're in the church and and it's an old 80s throwback, but it's a Chevy Chase movie. And they're in a church and they had the earpiece on. It was like one of those televangelical, whatever they are. And people would come in, they'd write down what was wrong with them. So the guy would have his earpiece. Oh, he'd say their name, what was wrong. He, God told him this and that. I've always wondered if that's not how it really is. Like, but you basically just like, he has an earpiece and I've wondered if the church things are that way too. And like <laughs> these psychic mediums, people go to these psychics and mediums and they ask you all these questions. It's almost like, well, you're giving them answers to things that it's easy for them to find out. So they kind of read you right off the bat of, make you fall into the ask questions that kind of line up to where they're fishing and you're giving them the answers so they keep digging because you're giving them answers to things that they're fishing for yeah and i've never had one say something distinctive like who here had a grandfather who fell into a a harvester on accident one day while he was harvesting corn you know it's never distinctive like that it's always just the vaguest stuff they keep it vague because it's like a blanket to, it could be anybody. Right. So, and then if they're asking for your name, your number and your address, that's pretty obvious that they're going to research whoever they end up drawing. Yeah. So seriously. I, I would have given them fake information. <laughs> I don't even remember if I did or not. I just remember being like, are you kidding me? <laughs> ask for an email address, ask for your mother's maiden name, your first pet's <laughs> name, your first car's name. So they can hack all your stuff. Right, last four years social. But while we were there, we did get to um, experience some cool stuff like, um, do you know what an ovulus device is? I've heard of it, but I do not know what it is. It's basically like a spirit box. But the reason I think it's cooler than a spirit box is it doesn't just ramble endlessly. It only speaks up when something supposedly manipulates its radio waves and it can make an actual word. Not just the constant noises. God, I hate spirit boxes, I swear. But 
it had like pretty pertinent stuff to say. Like at Waverly Hills, there's a, they call it the body shoot because there were so many people dying there. They didn't want the patients to see all their friends being rolled out. Wasn't that, not that I wasn't yeah. it a tuberculosis place or something like that? Yeah. Tuberculosis sanitarium. And I want to say like a hundred thousand people died there. It was bad. Yeah. That's what I was thinking it was. Yeah. Sorry. So like in the body shoot where they rolled the bodies out to a field at the end, um, the ovulus said death, bodies, death, sick, death, death, bodies over and over. So that was pretty cool. And then I got my first EVP there and the recorder that it was on died, died later on. So I lost it. But we were in the electroshock therapy room and the woman who was kind of guiding us at the moment said, all right, everybody come in a little closer so you can hear me. And in the recording, a voice says, no, hmm. it's really cool. Yeah, I haven't really, I've only been out on two different things with a group and everything to them was paranormal. Oh yeah. You got to go with the right people. So anymore though, I'm to the point of, I don't want to go looking for it because I don't want to bring anything back. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, the last one that I went on, and I did an episode about it, but we went to Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary. And this is in Tennessee. This is the prison where they put the most dangerous of the dangerous in Tennessee, like James Earl Ray was there for a while. Um, there was a serial killer there for a while, one of the lesser known ones. And so we're, we're there. There are way more people there than they led us to believe would be allowed in for the investigation. So I'm grumpy because there's all these people and everywhere it's just people noise. You know, you're trying to work on EVPs and you, you hear some spirit box three people away. Well, we spend the night and it's a really cool place. And I, it felt eerie, but I also left just being so cynical and grumbling. This place isn't haunted. They make up these stories for tourists to sell these expensive tickets, you know, grumble, grumble, grumble. And we get home and I'm writing my episode about it. And then I was like, okay, I never did go through all those recordings. And I got a scary as hell EVP that changed my mind. We were in the, they call it the auditorium. And it used to be the hospital ward for Brushy Mountain. We're in there and everyone at that time was focusing on EVP, thankfully. So it was quiet. And we're walking. And the best part is, I didn't know I was recording. Because in this moment, I actually regretted later thinking I hadn't been and was like, man, I wish I'd been recording when, you know, my friend said this really funny thing so I could put that in the episode. But we're walking and I asked my friend, is this the area she said not to go in? And he said, no, she said not to go in the cell block. And you can hear us at a distance because the recorder is being held, you know, kind of near my waist as we're walking. But then right in the recorder, you hear someone say, yeah. 
And I swear to God, it's using my voice to say it. That's weird. And then immediately after that second, yes, you hear me pick up talking far away again. So that gives me more confirmation that I didn't accidentally do a creepy whisper. (laughs) I did a lot of like QA testing. I tried rubbing the recorder against all the fabrics I was wearing that night. I tried blowing in it, putting it out in the breeze and... Nothing sounds remotely like that EVP that I got. And I didn't sleep for two days afterward thinking that something there used my voice for that. Yeah, that is weird. God, it was so creepy. But that changed my mind about Brushy Mountain. I stopped being such a cynical, you know what, after that. At least in that regard. (laughs) Is that, Bobby Mackey's is in that area too, isn't it? Oh, Bobby Mackey's is in Tennessee. I did one on that one, too. You did go there? No, I didn't go there, but I did an episode about it. That one's a really interesting story. I've always been involved in, like, death metal bands and stuff over the years. And I always always wanted to go down there and play just to see if something would ever happen. But I don't know if they even do that type of music stuff there anymore. Or anything, ever did anything like that, but I always thought it'd be cool to play at Bobby Mackey's. And everyone was like, What's Bobby Mackey's? Like, I just want to see if we get <laughs> paranormal crap to happen. Man, I, I get the impression from the research that Bobby Mackey's band is the band at Bobby Mackey's and it's country. Yeah. But they do um, paranormal tours in the basement area that's said to be the most active. I think there's like a well or creek or something that ran underneath yes. of it. Yeah, there's a well. They call it the portal to hell. You know, of all the places that I've researched, that's the one I'm not sure I want to go to. Uh, It's it's dark haunted. It's not just haunted. It's dark. That's like I said, I'm a I don't like going and looking for stuff. I don't want to bring anything home. But if I was to ever go somewhere, I'm going to go balls of the wall and just (laughs) go to that one. Well, that's the place to do it. Now, I've watched some stuff about that, and I've seen, I think, any of the paranormal shows. I've seen several different ones where they've done investigations and stuff there. And half the time that the shows on TV, I think, are baked anyways. But yeah. I would like to, if I was ever going to try and experience something, I'd go to the most notorious place for having <laughs> some crazy stuff go on. I mean, if it tells you anything, not that I think ghost adventures is any kind of reputable or quality or good at all but the ghost adventures guys won't go back there (laughs) (laughs) i remembered watching one of the first times before they had their show and where that brick got thrown at them and you can actually see it on camera the brick come flying this was before this was like their first two-hour documentary before they had the tv show and i forget where they were but the brick come flying at them and they were locked in. And so they end up jumping out the second story windows just to get out of the building. <laughs> oh my God. That's when I always decided, well, I like those guys because they seem to be at least a, uh, they realize when a brick comes flying, they're getting the hell out of there. <laughs> That's a pretty reasonable response. <laughs> yeah. But any, ever since then, it's like they're terrified of everything. At least Aaron is or whatever his name is. And, yeah. Anytime they hear a noise or whatever, they always freak out. Like, you've been doing this for 15, 20 years at this point. You'd think you'd be a little bit over it. <laughs> like, you hear right. a noise, why are you going to overreact that bad? 
So that's why I think a lot of it's just faked for TV. Not to mention, you know, there's, I think, three of them, two or three of them. And there's a whole camera crew. Like, okay, you heard a noise. It's probably camera guy number five over there. Yeah. So, like I said, I, I, uh, I don't go out and do that stuff. When I was younger, I talked about doing it and everything. But anymore, it's like, I don't feel like I ever have the time and... Uh, probably partially why I did a podcast about it because I don't have the ability to go out there and do it myself. Yeah. We're planning on going back to Brushy Mountain in the spring because they're closed all winter and just shelling out the money to do a private investigation where you can just do up to 12 people. Yeah. I'm excited about that. (laughs) Limit the potential of having people bleed into your EVPs and everything else. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. After, so aside from Brushy Mountain, I just had a couple of experiences in the recent year that were small scale. I, so last year, I'm going to be vague here for privacy, but I lost someone really close to me. And this person always had a meaningful connection with the back porch of my house. And as they were in their last days and weeks, they would tell me, I wish I could just go sit on your back porch, have a cup of coffee. And starting about a month after they passed away, I would pass by my back window and see them sitting on the couch on my back porch, just looking at the view. Hmm. And this happened three separate times, but it was clearly like residual because they never moved. It was just like a still frame. And it's almost like, so they weren't translucent, like a movie stereotype, but the color was desaturated. Like they were less colorful than they should have been. And it was only out of the corner of my eye. And that last time I continued just looking out of my periphery and they were there continuously until I looked directly and they were gone every time. But that it's like they're, I don't want to say they're happy place, but like a spot that meant something to them. Yeah, it was, it was a happy place for them. So that wasn't thankfully wasn't like a spooky encounter that was more of a happy one like oh good you know they got to sit out there again Mm -hmm. and then this one this one honestly feels silly and i don't know why this one feels so silly but i one night i'm like you i'm a super light sleeper and i barely slept the whole night And my bed is angled so I could see directly into the bathroom connected to my bedroom. I had these nightmares all night that there were spirits in my bathroom. (laughs) And all night, just being barely asleep and having that feeling, like dreading, okay, great. Tomorrow I've got to deal with the ghosts in my freaking bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going through that nightmare all night. I wake up the next day and was like, oh, thank God, it's just a dream. Okay. 
So then that following night I go get into my bed and I'm thinking, I'm so happy that was just a dream. And there's really not actually any spirits in my bathroom to deal with. And right as I'm thinking that I hear the cat litter in my bathroom shift, like a cat just stepped into the litter box and both my cats are on the bed and they stand up and stare intently into the bathroom. And I was like, Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, shortly after I moved into this house, I did have a cat who passed away. And sometimes when I'm laying in bed, I feel a cat jump up on the bed, walk to a a cozy little chosen spot and lay down and I reach to pet it and there's no cat there. But I've always attributed that more to that's something that happens very often. So I just imagined that occurrence, you know, until the litter box. (laughs) I actually saw someone post something recently about their cat that had passed away. It was in one of those groups and they said that the cat would, they could still feel its presence every once in a while. It would come up and get on their lap. They could feel like sitting there, but they, they didn't see it, but they could feel it sitting on them. Yeah. So I've always wondered about stuff like that too. I was like, I wonder if humans have energy, animals, why wouldn't they have their own energy too? So maybe it's just residual energy for something that I always enjoyed doing. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one time I felt what felt like a cat rub against my lower leg, but that was easy to brush off as like, oh, weird muscle stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one said something about the cat. They could always feel like the cat would jump on them, but then they'd sit up and there would be no cat on them. Yeah. So. Um, that's all I got. That's all my stories. I'm exhausted of stories now. <laughs> no, that's great. <laughs> But uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this up then. I said, uh, if you want to, again, plug your podcast, where can they find your information at to listen to you? Yeah, so it's Obscure Appalachia. You can find me wherever you listen to podcasts or ObscureAppalachia.com is the website. Obscure Appalachia on all the social media. I'm trying to get into TikTok. I'm trying to be cool. It's not really working for me. <laughs> I only have a Facebook and that's all I'll probably end up having because I don't like social media really. Right. <laughs> so I don't, I personally don't have anything else. I don't want to make them just for the podcast. I know I probably should for promotional purposes, but I, I'm old school and an old grumpy man that doesn't want to deal with <laughs> the social media if I don't have to. Right. Yeah. So. It's, it's not the most fun, but it, Helps people see what you're doing anyway. Yeah. So that mine's not very big. It's slowly getting following, but we'll see what happens. So, but again, I appreciate you coming out tonight, talking with me. Definitely uh, interesting. Some of your experiences and everything, and I do appreciate it. Oh, no. Thank you for having me. Do you want me to send you that EVP? I don't know if you'd want to include it or not, but. Yeah, you can. I can add it towards the end of the episode. Yeah, that's up to you. I think it's really cool and it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, you can do that. And I can, if anything, I can put a little clip up on my little Facebook page. So, Oh, you could do the social media for it. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, but yeah, you can uh, email it to the email that the show invite came from. That's where I keep all my show-related stuff at. So. Awesome. Thank you again for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for coming out. I appreciate it. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Good night. And that's our show, everyone. Again, I'd like to thank Candace for coming out and talking with me tonight. Be sure to check out her podcast, Obscure Appalachia. She's definitely got some cool things going on over there. And again, if you've ever had an experience or a story you'd like to share, please reach out to me. You can get a hold of me at tinfoiltalespodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Just look up Tinfoil Tales. You can shoot me a message there if you'd prefer to do that. And again, if you would be interested in purchasing a copy of Tinfoil Tales, 10 different stories that were transcribed and now are in reading format, you can purchase that on Amazon. You can reach that via the show notes included with the show. Good night, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it.